Fishermen often did similar scrawlings on the underside of the bunk above them. I wondered how the inmates before me had etched the paint down to bare metal. And what for tools? Fingernails? Mine had been gnawed to nearly bleeding in the nerve-wracked 48 hours since my arrest. And, I realized as I sat in the corner where the hard bench met the cold wall, I was too despondent to lash out, even if I could. Cooperative. That's what the arresting officers had said about me. Well, why wouldn't I be? I'm a nice girl. And I was totally and solely responsible for, and 100% guilty of, the charges on which I was now detained. And to top it all off, I was feeling too defeated to put up a fight anyhow. Should I have stood up to the three heavily armed and bulletproofed men who had boarded my vessel to investigate? At five foot three and 125 pounds? I think not. Should I have cut and run from the 200-foot state-of-the-art Canadian Coast Guard ship that had escorted me and my crew the 280 miles from the fishing grounds? Aboard the 63-foot, six-and-a-half-knot jalopy of a boat called the Seahawk? We had no chance. Maybe I should have protested. Now I felt like an absolute patsy. I sat on the bench, stared at the cell door, and quickly fell to a depth of despair that I never knew existed. I was well beyond tears. How could I have been so stupid? It's a long story, but I have time. I'm Linda Greenlaw, the woman who was launched from near obscurity into a full 15 minutes on the other end of the spectrum with the publication of Sebastian Junger's book, The Perfect Storm. Being touted as one of the best swordfish skippers on the entire East Coast was a tough image for me to uphold at the close of a 19-year career full of the fits and starts that define commercial fishing. But I had managed to make my uneasy peace with that mega-image well enough. I retired from long-line, offshore fishing at the top of my game ten years ago. Since then, I had been fulfilling a childhood dream of living year-round on Isla Ho, an island in Penobscot Bay in Maine, where I reside today. The decade following my coming ashore from blue-water fishing is an example of real and drastic life change. Although hauling lobster traps had kept me on the water between the writing and promoting of six books during that span, small boat fishing on the inshore waters surrounding my home did little to fill the void left in the absence of true, hearty saltwater adventure. A bit heartier and saltier than I'd hoped for so far, this latest adventure was still in its infancy when I landed in jail. Indeed, I had let my crew down. How and when would I explain this to my parents? And Simon? And what about Soraya? Not even a full year into my responsibility as legal guardian to the 16-year-old girl, and there I was in jail. What would Maine's Department of Health and Human Services think about that? I wasn't looking like the ideal role model right now. Unfit at best. I had let everyone down, especially me. Pitying oneself is the most pathetic of all pathetic indulgences in the human psyche. It's even worse than hating oneself, and I had a lot of that going on, too. I'd been given neither advice nor instruction from the arresting and processing officers. They must have assumed, wrongly, that I had prior arrests and experience in this realm. I actually had no idea how to act, what to say or what not to say. My acquaintance with jail was limited to vicarious travels through stories told by crew members. This was certainly the end of the prison intrigue I had enjoyed toying with through the years. Not knowing how long I would be locked up, I had nothing to do but sit and reflect on how I'd come to this sorry state and wonder how soon it would be before I could get back offshore.
Chapter 1. The Call It had been a tedious, discouraging day of hauling lobster traps. My string of gear had been neglected by both me and the lobsters during a six-week stint of book touring, and the warps bore the telltale signs of inattention. These are the lines that stretch from buoys to traps, and mine were downright turfy with slime, seagrass growth, and what could have been mistaken for the beginnings of a mussel aquaculture project. The catch was so pathetic, I could see the bottom of the blue plastic barrel through the lobsters it contained at the end of the hall. With the price of bait and fuel soaring to an all-time high, it didn't take much math to figure that I was falling behind at a record pace. Disheartened, I threw a couple of buckets of water across the deck of the Maddie Bell, put her on the mooring, and headed home. The bed of my pickup truck had finally slouched toward the road far enough to rub against the axle or the drive shaft or something else it wasn't designed to ride on.